All right, did anyone uh, not receive one of the handouts at the door? If you did not, I've got a few here. Guys, if you could help me out. Um, there's a handout that, uh, that I have for you. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah, chapter number 53, and there's a lot of scripture that we're going to try and get through. Um, and so I, I printed out um, a good portion of that uh, to try and save some time as we're, we're flipping through. Uh, if you are missing uh, that handout, go ahead, just raise your hand as the, as the guys come through. Um, but Isaiah chapter 53 is, is known as a messianic prophecy. Uh, it's also known as the suffering servant. And we're going to see why that's so important. Um, the book of Isaiah obviously was written by a prophet named Isaiah. Uh, and he lived, or he was writing, his ministry took place around 700 years before the birth of Christ. 700 years. So if we were to go back to the 1300s. All right, if you go back to the medieval times in the 1300s, have, have a, a poet or a prophet or, or um, you know, a wise man at that time start writing down predictions. All right, do you think he could have predicted um, Y2K? Do you think he could have predicted um, uh, the housing bubble, 2008? Could he have predicted the last couple of years that we've experienced? All right, we're talking about a prophecy, uh, a number of prophecies, 700 years before they, they were fulfilled. In Isaiah, there's 110 uh, uh, prophecies that have to do with the coming, the first, the first coming of Jesus Christ. And about 220 that refer to his second coming, yet to be fulfilled. So 330 prophecies about Jesus in this book of Isaiah. And it's so important um, to, to understand that because uh, fulfilled prophecy uh, teaches us some things. You know, if, if, uh, if someone 700 years ago could have predicted what was going to take place in the last 20 years, do you think uh, that person would be trustworthy? Do you think his message, do you think the other things, if he had made predictions in the last 30 years, uh, or the last 30 years they've all been coming true, do you think his next predictions would have been true as well, the next prophecies? And so as we look at these prophecies being fulfilled and being fulfilled perfectly, it helps us to have an under, a, a, a trust for God's word. And we'll see that as we go. As Jesus was on this earth, uh, in Luke chapter 4, um, the Bible records, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the, the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again unto the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. All, the whole life of Jesus was fulfilling prophecy after prophecy, after prophecy. And so we're going to go through the, the chapter 53 here and just and go through some of those prophecies that he fulfills. Uh, and we'll open with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we do love you, God. We thank you uh, for the opportunity to study your word. I thank you um, that you've given it to us, that we can learn it, that we can um, uh, just be challenged. God, I do pray that you would speak through me, help me to um, speak clearly, help, me, help my thoughts to be clear. And God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would use this to encourage us tonight. We pray in your name. Amen. So there's many people that want to discredit the Bible. There's many people that uh, you know, say, oh, you can't trust the prophecies. You can't trust the Bible for science. You can't trust the Bible that uh, God created the earth in seven days. You can't trust all these things. Um, and there's many attacks 
on these prophetic references. Uh, one of the, the, an odd one, or I guess not so much odd, but a sad one is, is how the Jews interpret uh, Isaiah 53. I was reading a, a testimony of a lady that was saved out of Judaism. She's a born-again believer now. And she said the, 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 the teaching in their synagogue, they would come, they'd go through Isaiah, and then when they get to Isaiah 53, their teachers would skip over it and go to the next chapter. It's hard for some of them to understand or to explain in a way that doesn't, it's so obvious that this refers to Jesus. And yet for the Jews, they would say that Israel is the suffering servant, uh, what all these descriptions are going to be. Uh, and so as we read through, I want you to just kind of keep that in your back of your mind. Could this be Israel, or is this specifically our Savior, Jesus Christ? And so as we begin, Isaiah 53, we'll begin in verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You know, it, it's, it's kind of sad that Isaiah starts with uh, kind of more of a statement, less of a question, more of a statement that you guys are going to miss this. You know, the following verses or the following statements that I'm going to make, um, they're not going to be believed. And of course, that, that very first prophecy was fulfilled, is being fulfilled. The Jews do not believe the report. You know, the chosen people do not believe that their Messiah has come. They've missed that. And so Isaiah says, who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You know, he's, he's, he's saying that the message of the Messiah met with skepticism. The idea of the arm of the Lord, when you see the arm being used in reference like that, it's talking about strength, it talks about power. And of course, that's what the Jews were looking for. They were looking for a king to come in, uh, to overthrow the Romans, uh, to take them out of their, the captivity that they were kind of in at the time. And Jesus didn't do that. Of course, we know the story. He was born as a baby. He, he grew up as a carpenter. And he, he didn't match what the, the, the Jews of the time were looking for. And so they discredited him. To whom of the arm of the Lord? They, they did not understand. They, they glazed over it. As we go through in John chapter 12, in verse 37, uh, in the New Testament now, we see this first verse already being me- uh, referenced. Uh, verse 37 of John chapter 12, but, thou, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Who hath believed the report? Not these guys. Verse 38, that the saying of Isaiah, and when we see that in the New Testament, that's Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, uh, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things saith Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. You know, we look at that, we might say, well, you know, it says right there, God blinded them. All right, why would God do that? Uh, and, and don't think of it as God prevented the Jews from accepting the Messiah. Think of it as a judgment against the Jews of the time. All right, when Jesus first presented and began working, uh, his miracles and, and, and his, the, sharing the gospel, uh, did many of the Jews accept or deny or reject? You know, and they rejected. And so it's more of a judgment in response to their denial. Uh, because of their unbelief, we see that uh, even though the miracles were done, they believed not, and so God judged them, and he blinded them, in a, in a way. It's a, it's a judgment against them. And we'll see the purpose of that going forward as well. As we continue being, uh, reading, it's not that they couldn't be saved. Okay? We do know that there were uh, followers of Jesus. There were believers on Jesus during this time. 
In John 12, 42, we just read in verse 41 that they were blinded, that they could not see, they could not understand, they could not be converted. And yet in 42, it says, nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. Okay, there were people that did believe. All right, they weren't blinded because they didn't, they didn't come into it with unbelief. They didn't come into it with judgment. All right, so already that very first verse of this chapter is being fulfilled. That prophecy is already uh, able to be evaluated and seen that it took place. It's a true prophecy, which means we can trust what's going to keep coming out of it. Verse 2, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root of the dry ground. You know, Jesus didn't just come to this earth, you know, as a, as a, a man. You know, he, he very well could have just come down from heaven. I'm already 30 years old. I'm going to be begin my ministry and just go. Right? Very well. He's God. He could have chosen to do that. And yet he came as a baby. He came as, as just a lowly son of a carpenter or a family, an earthly father of a carpenter. Born in a stable, didn't live in a palace. You know, all the things that we understand about Jesus was contrary to what, the, what was expected. And he grew up as a tender plant. You know, uh, that, that gives us the idea of being weak. Gives us the idea of being vulnerable. You know, how many of you guys um, uh, planted gardens last summer? Some, some of you guys? Okay. We, we planted a garden. My boys planted a garden. Um, and uh, wouldn't you know, the rabbits came in and ate most of it. All right? Plants are not uh, super strong. All right? If you come in and a, and a predator, we'll call rabbits predators today, uh, they come in there and they eat it and, you know, the plants don't last long. Um, and so it doesn't have the idea of a strong majestic oak tree. Now, Jesus was described as a tender plant, a root of the dry ground. We know that that took place. Luke 2.40, as the child grew, waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. He grew as a child, grew into a man, experienced life as we do. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know, Jesus wasn't, he didn't come with the advantage of good looks, you know, I look out there and there's some of us that have better looks than others. We'll be polite, okay? Um, if Jesus had, had been here today, you know, he wouldn't be on the cover of any of the, the big media magazines. You know, he wouldn't have been um, Times 100, or uh, the 100, whatever, Times Man of the Year, whatever they call it. Um, you know, the Bible doesn't say that he came and, and attracted people or attracted a following because of, of his looks, you know, we're, we're such a shallow uh, generation, you know, where everything is superficial. You know, the big, uh, there's a rabbit trail, I won't stand behind the pulpit, big rabbit trail about social media. You know, all these people post the best things in their life and leave out, you know, the 75% that they want to keep hidden, you know. Um, and, and all you see are the, the highlights, the, the, uh, the best things. And, and yet, you know, when Jesus came, he didn't, he didn't choose to be super strong and, 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 and attractive in that way. You know, he attracted people because of his message. He attracted people because of how he treated them, because he loved them. And so the Bible says, he, you know, he didn't have a form, no form or no comeliness when we shall see him. There's no beauty that we should desire. Verse 3, he's despised and rejected of men. And I think we know that to be true. In Luke 17, verse 25, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And, and we know the disciples were, um, they, they saw so much, and yet even they missed it very often. You know, they, they all forsook him. Um, 
You know, and, and they were right there with Jesus the whole time. And he's talking to them. He's telling them uh, what was going to take place. Uh, and the Bible says in Luke 17, 25, But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. All right, he's trying to tell them, look, I'm not going to be accepted. I'm going to, I'm going to die for your sins and you aren't going to get it. I'm going to be rejected. And that's a fulfillment of, of Isaiah 53. Um, there, is, there is some that believed, we saw that, but mo- many did not. In John 6, verse 66, the Bible says, from that time, many of his disciples went back. You know, he had a following. There was a multitude that, that uh, came to see his miracles, came to, to be healed, t- came to, you know, hear what was going on. And yet there came a point where even they stopped following him. Uh, and then, of course, his betrayal and capture, Matthew 26, verse 56. But all this was done. You know, Judas, he, he um, makes a contract, a covenant, if you want, with the, the high priest to betray Jesus. You know, and then he brings, they give him a, multi, uh, a group of uh, soldiers, uh, and Judas carries or takes them into the garden to betray him. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. All right, that all was part of that despised and rejected. And that's what Christ experienced. Continuing, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, I think about this, and this is the one that, that I, um, I, I think holds the most for me. You know, I, I heard, uh, it's kind of like a bumper sticker, but if you love the most, you hurt the most. All right, and if you think about that for a moment, Christ has infinite love. Infinite love. Every single one of us. Every single person in the world. All right, I want you to think of the worst character that you can imagine in all of history, all right, historically. All right, it could be um, uh, just you pick, okay? We'll, we'll pick Judas, all right? Jesus had an infinite love for, Jesus, uh, for Judas, all right? The way only God can. And so if you think about it, if you love someone so much and then they betray you, how much harder is that betrayal versus if you just, you know, you have an acquaintance, all right, if, if pick someone at work. You've, you've seen them one time. All right, you, you've, you've got their name. All right, hey, I work with Steve. All right, hey, Steve. All right, and then you find out that Steve said something horrible about you. Well, big deal. All right, what's Steve? Steve doesn't matter, right? But then imagine someone closer. Imagine a family member. Imagine a brother, a sister, maybe a spouse. Someone that you value. Someone that you love very, very much. And they betray you. All right, that's the hurt that Jesus experienced. All right, a man uh, of sorrows and acquainted with grief, you know, he's despised and rejected by the people that he has love for. All right, in Matthew chapter 26, uh, we find the, the prayer that Jesus is praying in verse 38. Then he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful. You know, this is before the cross, before the betrayal. And, and he just, the, the, the idea, the truth of what was coming was enough to Jesus say, uh, for Jesus to say, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, you know, what he was about to experience. And he, and he tells us something. And, and you know how we can exaggerate things? You know, this is the worst. I can't believe, okay, I don't believe Jesus ever exaggerated. I don't believe God ever exaggerates in his word. My soul is exceeding sorrowful. And look at what the Bible says, even unto death. To the point where, where it, was, it was to death. You know, he, he carried that. And he said, tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but thou wilt. All right, Jesus was a man of sorrows. Jesus was acquainted with grief. You know, he, he knows what that was all about. You know, part of being a man, part of being born as a man, um, he experienced what we experience. He experienced hardship. He experienced emotional uh, anxiety, perhaps, or, or, or just apprehension or, or that, that, that sorrow. Maybe not anxiety. I don't believe Jesus would have had that. But just knowing that that was coming, not looking forward to it. Um, and he experienced that. Continuing in Isaiah, we hid, as it were, our face from him. Uh, just the, the idea, we'll, we'll see further down, um, the, the, the link to being a leper. All right, and just put that in the back of your mind. We'll see that in a second. But we hid our faces from him. Uh, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. You know, esteem means to give someone the honor that they deserve. Um, uh, you know, you'd, you'd use a title. You know, if you go to court, uh, you have to call the, the, um, the judge your honor. You know, my wife and I, we were in, in court uh, just a while back, and uh, uh, one of the lawyers, uh, he said, yes, father, because you know, he, he mixed up his title for the for the the judge and it just it made me laugh. I looked at him I'm like, are we in the right place? So anyway, he was he was uh, a little bit distracted and so he was calling the judge father a bunch and it was it was funny. But um, esteem, you know, the God of the universe, and yet we don't esteem him. We don't reverence him. We don't have respect for him. You know, if people if people knew who Jesus was, would he have been treated the way that he was? Would people have looked down on him? Would people have, have sought out to kill him? You know, early in Jesus' ministry, um, people began trying to kill him. You know, and ultimately they had to get Judas to betray him to accomplish that. Um, but early on, they hated him to the point where they wanted to kill him. All right? I, I don't know what that experience would be like. To my knowledge, no one has ever wanted to kill me. All right? Um, but imagine knowing that. For, for, he, was, he was doing a ministry for three years. Imagine knowing that there are people in the city of Jerusalem who want to kill you. And that's what he was ministering. Those are the people that he loved. Those are the people that ultimately he was going to die for. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, we see this referenced as well. When even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it may be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. Now, if you see that, he took our infirmities and bare our sickness, and then you read what we just read in verse 4, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You might say, well, Calvin, that doesn't match. How do, how do I reconcile that? All right, and that, that comes down to uh, translations. All right, we're not going to get into the big rabbit trail of, uh, of uh, how God's word was preserved and translated. But in, in a very brief nutshell, uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. And around 300 BC, um, the, the Hebrews were uh, under Roman rule, and so they were all learning Greek, they were speaking Greek. And so around 300 BC, um, history would tell us that they began translating from Hebrew into Greek. All right, the Torah was being translated into something called the Septuagint. All right, and so you've gone from Hebrew into Greek, 
And then now, in, in the 1600s, uh, they translated into what we have as our King James Bible. All right, so now we have a translation in English. And so you see, and they, they would mean the same thing. All right, even though the words are slightly different, the, the meanings are the same. All right, and so don't let that throw you. In Isaiah, in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, it says, He hath borne our griefs, He carried our sorrows. And now in the New Testament, when that translated into Greek and then now into English, uh, the Bible says, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. All right, those words, if you were to study it out, and, and we don't have the time uh, this evening, but if you were to study them out, they all have those same meanings. All right, the, the sorrows come, comes from a word, and I'm going to try and pronunciate it, uh, makov, um, which means sorrow or pain, which is physical or mental. Infirmities comes from as, as, ne, the, uh, as they knee, okay? uh, which means weakness, disease, infirmities, and I'm not going to read the rest, uh, but the last one means disease or sickness. All right, so they're, they're interchangeable, those words. And so that reference, again, in Matthew, is referred back to Isaiah, fulfilling another one of those prophecies that Isaiah said, and now we see Jesus fulfilling that. Uh, we did esteem him stricken. All right, this is where that reference of leprosy comes in. All right, stricken has the idea of a sudden or severe sickness, uh, and most times it was, was uh, uh, contributed or it was recognized to have come directly from God as a form of punishment. You know, if you think of uh, um, Moses' sister, Miriam, and when they rebelled, God struck her with, with leprosy, and she was out of the camp for a while. And so that's what that word stricken means. Yet we did esteem him stricken. You know, we hid our face from him. If you, were, if you had leprosy um, at that time, you, you were a castaway. You know, nobody would talk to you. You, were, you lived uh, outside the city. You would beg to survive. And so people would turn their face. They would, if you were coming down the street and you were a leper, people would, would turn and go the other way. And so that gives us that picture, that image of, of uh, turning our face from him. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They, the Jews, you know, they, they looked at Christ and said, you died on a cross, or we're going we're gonna to put you on the cross, and this is God's judgment. All right? The, the Jews literally thought they were judging Jesus because Jesus was a sinner. Jesus claimed to be God. And so they thought the judgment was just and was righteous. Verse 5. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. You know, there, there's, there's so much that we could, would go into. And, and I'm looking at our time and, and I'm not even halfway through. And I apologize. I, I took off a, quite a, uh, a bit more than we can get through. But... I'd encourage you to, to read through that chapter, all right? And, and we'll look at this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced. That's what that word wounded means, literally pierced through. In John 20, verse 26, the Bible says, Peace be unto you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. All right, he was literally pierced, fulfilling this prophecy in Isaiah. All right, we'll we'll go to our application. All right, what is our application? Again, I'd encourage you to read read through uh, the rest of that chapter and and look how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. Look how Jesus fulfilled every single one of those things. All right, but I do want to leave you with an application. Why why is it important that Jesus fulfilled this? Why is it important that these prophecies um, prove who he was and prove the trustworthiness of the Bible? There's a, a, a professor... 
at Westmount College. And him and his students uh, calculated the probability of one man fulfilling eight of the prophecies, uh, messianic prophecies that Jesus ultimately fulfilled. All right, so they, there's uh, approximately 456 messianic prophecies. And so they, they picked eight of them out. Uh, one of them could have been, where was he born? In Bethlehem, okay? So then they did the odds. What, would it, what were the odds of a man being born in Bethlehem at that time? All right, versus the rest of the world. All right, what were the odds that, uh, um, that uh, uh, he would be betrayed? What would the odds be that he'd be betrayed by a close friend? What would the odds be that he would die on a cross in that way, okay? And so they picked eight prophecies, and they calculated the, the probability of one man randomly, by chance, fulfilling all of those eight prophecies. Uh, and the probability of that was 1 to 10 times 17, to the 17th power. All right, so in, in the world of numbers, that is 1 followed by 17 zeros. All right, that is the equivalent of taking a loony covering the whole face of Texas, two feet deep. All right, that is 1 to the 17th power of loonies. And that's a lot of money, all right? And then we'd blindfold Dennis, and we'd take him, we'd put him in Texas and say, all right, you can walk anywhere you want, um, but you, at the end of the day, you got to pick one loony, all right? And the odds of fulfilling just eight prophecies is the same as Dennis walking into Texas and picking the one loony that, that, is, that is needed, all right? If they, they, they upped the prophecies, and they said if we were to do 48 prophecies, the probability would have 157 zeros after it. All right, the statistics, okay? If you just say, well, it was just by chance that a guy was born in Bethlehem who grew up, who, who walked on water, who healed the sick, who, who um, let the, the, uh, the deaf hear and the blind see, who died on a cross, who rose three days later. All right, the chance of that is just astronomical. It's impossible. All right, and so fulfilled prophecy proves that Jesus was who he said he was and that he, that he is God. All right, a fulfilled prophecy proves that Jesus is God. A fulfilled prophecy proves that Jesus is our Savior. Fulfilled prophecy proves that the Bible is God-breathed, God-given to us, that the Bible is dependable. You know, and, and so what's our last application? Fulfilled prophecy saves people. All right, as I was preparing this, I came, I was reminded, the Holy Spirit reminded me, and, and turn with me to Acts chapter number 8, and we'll close with this passage. Acts chapter number 8, verse number 28. Acts 8, verse 28. And as he was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, verse 29, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran hither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. That's Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8. We didn't get that far, but if we were to continue reading, it would talk about when he was on trial, when he was being accused, he didn't answer the accusations. He just stood there. When they were beating them, he just, he just stood there and took it. He did not open his mouth. And so now the Ethiopian is reading the scripture. He doesn't understand. What would that mean? 
Why would a Messiah, why would someone be led like a, like a sheep to the slaughter? How, you know, if we did not know the story of Jesus and I read that, you know, how would I understand it? And so the Ethiopian is reading that and he asks the question, and it's a question that we could get asked today. How, or, or how can I, um, Philip asks him, do you understand it? All right, if you come across someone in your life and they say, I don't understand it. All right, they don't have the Holy Spirit illuminating their, if they don't know Christ, they will not understand the Bible. All right, and we have the opportunity as saved, born again believers to take God's word and to sit down with someone and say, hey, look, in, in Isaiah, they say, uh, they say this prophecy. You know, and now look in the New Testament, look at what Jesus did. Oh, and look at this next prophecy. Oh, and look at what Jesus did. All right, and in the, in the hand of an unbeliever, all of a sudden, oh, Really? 700 years? That was written before? 700 years before someone wrote that? And, you know, if you're like me and, and you like, uh, you know, you think math and, you, and the probability argument and all the rest, and you think logically, and, and how could someone have randomly fulfilled all these prophecies? It can only be Jesus. It can only be a Savior. You know, and that man, was that Ethiopian read this, Philip had the opportunity to come and explain it to him, and look at what the Bible says. In his, in his humiliation, his judgment uh, um, was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? That, that's also in Isaiah. For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet, this or himself or some other man. Verse 35, here's the key. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Jesus is the reason that we have the Old Testament. Jesus is, the, is who it's pointing us to. Jesus is who every story is. A, you can find the heartbeat of God, and the heartbeat of God is Jesus because he wanted to save us. He wanted to send us the sa- uh, a Savior. Verse 36, And as they went on their way, there came um, to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. With just a little book of Isaiah, Philip was able to lead this man to the Lord. God was able to save this man with fulfilled prophecy. It's important for them. It was important for us. And, and I encourage you, just, just read through that. See the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. See what it cost to be saved. You know, we didn't get to the, the last part of that chapter, but at the end of that chapter, it talks about what he suffered to be able to offer us forgiveness. You know, what it cost to take my sins, but also what that affords him is to be able to offer me forgiveness. And so I'd encourage you, just, just be thankful for what God has done for you. Um, appreciate it. You know, if someone c- could come and save your life, you know, you had a, a disease or you had something was going to happen to you and you weren't going to live, and someone came and saved you, and it didn't cost you a thing, but it cost them everything. Imagine the gratitude. Imagine the thankfulness that you would experience. And that would be my, my, my challenge for you. You know, as I was reading that, that's what the Holy Spirit convicted me of, of how little I, I think about the cost that my salvation was and, and uh, how much more I should. So uh, we'll bow our heads together and, and we'll give you an opportunity just to, to spend some time with your Savior. Take some time and just thank Him for what He has done, for what He's offered you. We'll stand together as our heads are bowed. Maybe there's someone here that hasn't experienced that. 
Yeah, I know it's a Sunday night crowd, but maybe you're here and you've never experienced forgiveness. You've never experienced forgive, uh, to, to know what that means. All right, this is all a foreign idea. You know, who's Jesus? What, what's he have to do with my life? I'd love to take the time and go through this chapter. I'd love to take the time and go through the gospel and show you what it means to have your sins forgiven. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you just need to thank the Lord. Maybe you just need to say thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for loving me enough to die. Thank you, thank you, thank you.